Hello, everyone listening. Thank you for listening again. It's Your Money, Your Life podcast. We're back, Team New Street. I'm your host, Delano Sapporo, founder and financial advisor at New Street Advisors Group. Exciting show coming up. We're going to talk about what Wall Street doesn't want you to know, what the street doesn't want you to know. We're also going to talk about Ask an Advisor section. We have stocks and shares question, what is a stock? We also have Forex. A lot of people have been asking me about Forex, so I'm going to talk about that. Um, And then finally, we'll do our stock talk segment and talk about Under Armour. Super excited to jump into it this week. We're going to get real. We're going to get down to it. Thank you for listening. What Wall Street doesn't want you to know. I was thinking this week and it just hit me. I was like, man, I was having a lot of conversations, prospective clients, clients, and, you know, the misinformation out there can be saddening. It can really be saddening. So I wanted to, you know, again, I've, my background is I've, you know, done my MBA from the University of Chicago booth, worked on Wall Street and investment banking, surveyed. I was watching the personal finance space for a long time before I, because I knew there was a need uh, for what I'm doing and watching the space learned a lot about how things are operating in the shadows versus what people actually know what's going on. This spans to not just personal finance, to, to, to big institutions, but media and different things that are really not allowing people to really understand their money, their finances. And so I want to touch on it. So when you think about what Wall Street doesn't want you to know or what bigger institutions don't want you to know, it's, I had a few things in mind that I want to touch on. First thing is they really don't want you to know that finance is accessible to everyone, right? Like what I'm implementing for clients, things I'm implementing for clients, um, some of them haven't done this stuff before. And I think a lot of it was because they didn't think they could they didn't know they were able to. They didn't know this was for them. You don't have to have some some degree from Harvard or Stanford to be able to apply strong personal finance concepts, to be able to invest, to be able to set yourself up, to be able to build the life that you want. That's not limited to people of, of certain you know backgrounds or whatnot. So that's one thing that I think it can be intimidating for people, which we talked about last week um, and, and a different lens, but in just the lens of people not really want to go. I don't think everyone out there wants to be a guru, a finance guru, right? There's like, that's not what it is. It's just really understand that you can actually invest. You can actually save. You actually have a retirement account, things that people don't know is accessible to them. And that goes to the next point. People out there really think that the market and investing is gambling. You're going to lose all your money. People always lose all their money. It's, <laughs> you can tell that I'm, it's super interesting that, not interesting, it's actually very disheartening that people don't understand that one that's incredibly false, right? Now, why do you believe that? I'm not blaming the people that believe that. This goes to media, to clicks, and to really the media needing to drive clicks and need clickbait, right? So, it's interesting when we saw the the pandemic hit and the pullback, the market correction, you were getting multiple alerts. People at that time, remember back then, how many alerts you were getting about the market at that time, because they know that that's what will get people to click the 
it's called loss aversion, the fear of losing. People will click on that article that says the Dow is down this much. People will click on that article that says the market pulled back this much. People want, they, they freak out. They, they have a fear of losing what they've built up. But if you're actually looking at the numbers, if you're looking at the facts, since 1926, the S&P index, which is the, one of the three major market index, S&P index originally began in 1926. And what I, I, I started to ask clients, like, what's the average annual return? And hopefully you guys understand the average annual return, meaning what is the average annual return you can expect if your money's just in the S&P index? And I ask clients or prospective clients this a lot now, and no one really has an answer. But the answer is actually 10 to 11%. And I'm assuming that's on a real return basis, meaning dividends reinvested. If it is, even if it's not, that's 10 to 11% average annual return. So that's meaning that if you've had your money just in an S&P index, not even in individual stocks since 1926 for whoever is that old, your average annual return, again, think about the average annual return is 10 to 11%. Whereas, you know, the media will have you thinking that if you put your money in the market, you're going to lose all your money. Like people have this fear that their money is also going to disappear. The market and stock market is highly intertwined with the way we live our lives. Do you think that if if the day that the market ends, yes, I would 100% agree. That's the day that the world ends. And at that point, no one cares what you have in your 401k. You're just going to need some sort of way to protect yourself. Um, you're going to need food and you're going to need some sort of barter system, which may not be money anymore. So, But if you're looking at the historical facts back all the way back from till now and actually understanding how the market works, people that have this notion that you're losing all your money. And that's driven by the media wines get clicks. People only click on articles that will make them fear. That's what you get. You get during the correction, the media was in loving the CNBC. Everyone was loving the fact that they were getting so many viewers at that point. They were doing extra coverage. All this, like I was getting news about their alerts about extra coverage for this, for that, because people fear. They'll tune in when they're fearful. They think that everything is crashing. When look at what happened. <laughs> I was I advised my clients one: we're not obviously we're not selling, especially if we have a long term horizon. Two, if you're younger, this is a great opportunity to buy in the market at lower lower, lower valuations, which is what I was telling a lot of people, of my clients, not, not people. I don't advise people that aren't my clients, and you guys aren't getting this expert advice unless you're paying for it. <laughs> so people that that's another thing that's driven. That's a media-driven thing. So I really think people need to actually like ask someone and look into the data and not just like see a headline and and spew that headline out because it's 100% not true. And the media is driven off of getting you to click on these things that are making you fear losing something because that's that's the way people's brain works. I'm very 100% risk tolerant person. I love risk. And yeah, if you invest in the market, there is risk. But if you actually look at the numbers and look at over a time of short-term or long-term investing and being smart, the risk is a lot more minimal than people are out there 100% making it. Um, got to actually do the research or ask someone. Another thing about Wall Street and what they don't want you to know as far as these big institutions. Now, I've talked to the big institutions. Some offered me to work with them. Some of them just like horrendous in the way they do things. Um, They don't want to help you 
unless you have money. Now, if you're out there like, man, I really want someone to help me manage my money, go try to walk into JPM or, or Goldman or anyone. Again, with with less than for Goldman with less than thirty million, sure they serve the ultra high net worth. They make it known. JPM, if you have less than a hundred one million, they're not gonna they're not gonna serve you. They're not gonna help you. They don't care. Now, if you come into wealth, then they would help you. Then they would actually manage your portfolio. But that's giving the illusion that this isn't available to everyone, which is not true. Again, if you ask someone that has had their money sitting on the sidelines. And I've, you know, helped them invest, and now they've actually earned a return on their money. That to me screams better than just having, you know, just having your money sit aside. But again, these companies will not help you unless you hit their investment minimum. Do a research, do a Google research on all these firms and what their investment minimum is. Now, if someone will take you on, like some of these brokers, which we'll talk about in my next segment, or excuse me, in the next uh, down the line of this list. It's because they want to sell you an insurance product or an annuity product, something that they get a huge commission on. So it's a double whammy. One, they won't, some of them won't help you unless you have enough money. And two, if you do have enough money or if you don't and they want to help you, it's because they were going to sell you, a, they're going to hit you on another end, which is the broker fees, which I'm not a broker, so I don't do commission selling or of any products, which we're going to talk about. And la- next, you know, they make it seem like they're inherently better, like these larger institutions. They want you to feel like they're the only ones that know what to invest in, and that's 100% not true, 100% not true. Lo- most of them just stick you in their own index funds. Like if you're a JPM, they stick you in their JPM index funds. They just let it ride. They don't do anything. They don't do any research. Most of them just stick you in their funds for their company, and they just let it ride. And every one of my over 115 clients that work, I work with knows that we're actually researching, we're actually looking at different industries, you like picking not only funds and indexes, but securities, stocks that are performing well and that we believe are going to perform well. And so, you know, they giving you this illusion that, you know, these institutions are inherently better. They don't have people that are all the time experts they just have people that are usually hope some of them are hopefully good at business development or they just have connections to people that can bring in assets so they can stick them in an index fund and just leave let it lay that's really all they're there for that's why they have to have so many sales goals because their job is to just bring in assets cover their overhead stick you in an index fund and not talk to you (laughs) and that gives me to let me attack I'm attacking this this week, Tim, Team New Street. We, we really had to get this out there. This was building up. Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey. I haven't taken their classes, but I've heard their disciples and their, their followers spew a lot of stuff that just, some of it sounds asinine to me. So I'm like, why are, you, why are people paying thousands of dollars to listen to these people? No one has to pay thousands of dollars. I don't get paid from this podcast. I give it to free, give it to the people for free. I do get paid. Because I do a really good job as a financial advisor and have my own firm, but not from giving the financial planning out pretty much for free. So, but Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey will have you guys believing that, you know, to build wealth, to build your family, you have to, one, pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for this financial coaching or whatever they do, which is just pretty much telling people spend less (laughs) save more and if you really want to jump to another bracket another income bracket then yeah you need to make more money 
actually building wealth isn't from these penny pinching things that people teach you, right? If you are, if your aspiration is just to provide for your family, live a great life, then fine. That that makes hundred sense. If your aspiration is to you know really jump into an X bracket and build wealth or something of that nature, it's not from penny pinching, sitting around and worrying about having if you had coffee that day, like that stuff is not to me. That stuff doesn't make sense. Yes, you should have a budget, a hundred percent. You should try to stick to it. But the sacrifices you want to make for what you ha- um, aspire to achieve are based on what you enjoy, what brings you happiness. And it shouldn't be, you shouldn't have coffee because $1 coffee builds up to 300000 over your life. That that money would have gone any, any somewhere else. So that stuff isn't, but they want you to believe through scare tactics that you have to listen to them about not having coffee so that you can buy their next book that tells you to not, now you shouldn't buy, you shouldn't take the bus or something of that nature. <laughs> these, you know, these people are just out there making, using fear porn to, to scare people on, you know, how to, to really drive traffic to them. But yeah, I've heard they've been good at helping people pay off debt, which is great. And again, I've talked about that before. I don't think debt is all inherently bad all the time. Um, I've heard that they're good at getting people, they're good at people into helping with them, their debt, which is great. But we really want to think, if we're thinking bigger picture, penny pinching and all this stuff and worrying about coffee, it's not the big, bigger picture, right? You want to think about bigger things over the life of your time. It's all a wash. You want to, you don't want to agonize over little things. You want to think bigger pictures. How do I reach my goals? Yes, I need to spend wisely, keep my overhead low. But then if you really want to jump to another bracket, you have to really increase income, start a business side, start a household. That's where it really elevates you to the next level. And lastly, let's talk about fiduciary investment advisors versus brokers. People get confused sometimes. So that's why whenever I have a first call with someone, I always you know really break this down for them. But I haven't broke it down on the podcast, I don't think. So there's actually, under the financial advisor umbrella, there's fiduciary investment advisors, which is what me and my firm is. New Street Advisors Group, Series 65 certification, registered. And then you have broker custodians who actually don't have a fiduciary standard. Fiduciary meaning standard to act in the client's best interest in an ethical and legal way, which is what I, the standard I live by. Broker custodians don't have that standard. Now, they recently had a new regulation, Regulation BI, if I'm not mistaken, Regulation Best Interest, that will try to push them more towards a fiduciary standard. But prior to brokers, which, you know, again, you commonly know them as people that maybe sell insurance and they get a larger commission for selling certain products. So they don't have it. They didn't have really a standard to do what was best exactly for the kinds it was just what was most what was close enough really it was like their standard was suitable it had to be suitable for the client not in their best interest but just suitable so then that would allow them to be able to sell you something that you may not have needed whether it's your 20 something healthy and they want to sell you some multiple life insurance contracts because they get a large commission for that i don't even have any life insurance certifications i don't sell any products don't sell life insurance but a lot of people get that confused so like when you talk to someone like, oh, your advisor, do you sell? What are you selling me? Like, I don't, I'm not selling you anything. (laughs) 
So some people do have that. I haven't had that um, issue a lot, but um, I have seen that. So I wanted to break that down. Um, they don't want you to know there's a difference. They don't want you to know there's a difference between fiduciary and brokers, which there is 100% a difference, and people should know that. All right, folks, ask an advisor section, questions of the week. I want to answer some questions that people have had from this week. So actually, one of my clients texted me and said, I should talk about what a stock or a share is. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. So shout out to you. If you're listening, I think you are. Um, We're going to talk about what is an actual stock or a share in a company, a stock is just also known as equity. It's a security that represents ownership of a fraction of a corporation. So this entitles you, if you buy a stock, if you buy a share of a company, this entitles you, the owner of the stock, to a proportion of the corporation's assets and profits equal to how much stock you own. So if you own a portion of Amazon's, you have Amazon stock, you own you're entitled to a portion of the profits. That's why companies give dividends. That's why companies, if you sell it, you can sell for the appreciation for what you own, the portion that you own. And how the mechanics of this actually work is when a company goes public, that is something I used to work in. Well, in investment banking, the investment banks, people think that's like investing, but it's actually not. It's corporate banking. Investment banking is advising large corporations on tapping into public markets. So when a company is private, they raise money through private capital raising. That's through getting accredited investors to invest their money, whether it's angel investors or venture capital firms, which to be an accredited investor, you have to have a certain amount of net worth. Um, you have to be able to invest a certain amount of capital. Um, but when the, when the, when public, when companies go public, they then tap into the secondary market, the retail market to everyone, everyday people to main street to you and I. Um, and that's through what the, what the actual mechanics of this are is they go to an investment bank and say, Hey, we want to go public and raise capital. We believe our valuation is X. They sell all these shares that they're going to raise this public money that they're going to raise from the retailers, the secondary market, us who actually buys it when it goes on exchange, they first sell those shares to the investment bank and the investment bank is the one that sells it to you. That's why you, when you see a large increase in a stock price right, right after the IPO, that's the banks getting that pop. They're getting that mark. They're getting that increase because they already had bought those shares from the company and they're reselling it to you guys in the secondary market to us um, after the company has sold it to them. So that's literally what investment bank is doing. Um, they're selling the shares afterwards in the secondary market when the company goes public and allows everyone else to trade off, uh, trade the shares on the exchange. So when you own a portion of a company, you're owning just an equity portion, a fraction of the corporation's um, earnings and profits and that you're entitled to. Um, that's literally what a stock means. Um, and it's on that basis of, you know, good standing and good faith there. So hopefully that sheds some light on what's the underpinnings of what goes on between in the markets and stocks. Um, and I think that's a really good question. Next question. I've heard a lot about Forex. So 
a lot going on with if people are not familiar with forex foreign exchange trading it's you know securities trading of commodities um you know and this is something that a lot of people are getting one bombarded with requests for people to you know get them into forex or you should get into forex so I want to touch on this because I think a lot of people could be misled when it comes to this forex trading um, and and things that they may not know. One, I never knock someone's hustle. I think it's great that people are out there finding ways to to earn income, to earn a living. Um, but when it comes to forex, people have to be careful. It's not if you have someone that proposes to you to join in on their, you know, their Forex trading or something, and they're, you have to pay X amount of this money to trade with them or whatever. That makes the two, the alarm bell should already go off, right? Like, and if they promise you that they made so much money, or I had someone call me and tell me something about, he said, the company gives you $400,000 to trade and you get to keep 20% of it. And all the details were all fuzzy. If someone's promising something that sounds too good to be true when it comes to money, it, is night it's a hundred percent of the time too good to be true when is ever when has someone ever had something when it comes to money that they were like really wanting everyone else to get into right like when that is to be alarm bell for you right away no one that has something that's actually lucrative or that's actually that making them money wants to bring in a whole bunch of people they only want to bring in a whole bunch of people because you pay an entry fee and that's what they're hoping to get the money off of is your entry fee into whatever they're doing so Again, I don't knock hustles, but this is obviously multi-level marketing where they're wanting people to come in and trade. And these traders aren't profitable. Forex is a volatile market. None of these traders are profitable. If they were profitable, they wouldn't be trying to sell you into it. They would just be trading and not try to have you pay an entry fee for it. Again, be careful. These Forex things, they're they're not as regulated, obviously, as you know the real markets, stock markets. So you got to be really careful when it comes to this. Um, and really do your due diligence. But, you know, again, ask me or talk to someone if you're not sure of what you're hearing. All right, folks, stock talk market update. As always, this shouldn't be looked at as advice. Do your own research. If you're a client of mine, you already know we're doing a great job for you. And if you want to be a client, please reach out. We can help you get your portfolio in shape. We're going to talk first. Um, I just checked the five-day tracker for the Dow Jones up about 1%. And as I'm recording this, the initial jobless claims number came in and um, was a little bit lower than expected. So about 1.135 million which the market has responded, the futures market has responded in kind with a little bit of a raise uh, this morning. So again, it's been a relatively quiet week. Uh, I would say not much um, craziness in the market. We're still tracking what's going on with the virus, um, what states are doing. New York itself is in phase three as of Monday. Um, So that is something to track. I think you want to, again, the underlying metric is hospitalizations, fatality rates, and not cases. Um, Cases are going to rise as texting increases, of of course. So that's the underlying metric people should actually pay attention to, or at least I'm paying attention to. And let's talk about a particular stock. Again, do your own research, not advice. But I was looking at Under Armour today, and I just saw that they're selling or trying to sell. So Under Armour, obviously, fitness apparel, 
um great you know they do a lot with fitness apparel designing all all some you probably have actually actually don't have any under armor products but you may out there have under armor wear but they are trying to sell my fitness pal which is one of my favorite apps i use my fitness pal every day um and when i'm in shape you guys will know that i'm tracking everything diligently and that's why i'm in shape (laughs) but under armor bought them back in 2015 which i thought was a good move back then um under armor was really looking back into 2013 like five ten years ago they were really big on you know making sure that they intertwined fitness apps and really had this you know wearable fitness thing that's what the, what the direction that their ceo was pushing um and they really hadn't done much with that you know if i look at my fitness pal nothing really has changed since i've been using it like five six years ago they haven't really intertwined it in their wearables and their in their wear and their clothing and their leisure and their ath- athletic clothing wear um, but that was the drive. And so they bought up a lot of these companies. If you look back through 2013 to 2015, Under Armour bought My Matt My Ride, My Fitness Pal, and Edmondo for $85 million. Um, and really, these apps in 2019 only accounted for 3% of Under Armour's sales. So they didn't really monetize the subscriptions. They didn't really monetize any of the the ads from these apps, they really didn't push forward. I, I don't think it panned out the way they wanted it to. Um, so, you know, they're expecting that sales this quarter could fall between 50 to 60%, which is obviously a huge loss uh, for them. And they're looking to cut costs. And so they're selling off some of their losers. Um, and that's, you know, something to watch. And I was looking at the stock price. It's down uh, around 50%, uh, 51% in the past six months. So, um struggling struggling stock there uh very curious to see what they do going forward uh, if they can pull themselves in the depth so hope you guys enjoyed the market update and stock talk folks we have an exciting interview this week one of my people team new street malia mcnaughton is going to share her, her finance tips her values also what she's doing with her jewelry business her modeling her acting one of her jewelry pieces was actually worn on national TV, the BET Awards by Amanda Seals. So it was interesting conversation, wonderful conversation to talk to her. Hope you guys enjoy this interview. Okay. Cool. Perfect. Well, everyone, thank you and welcome back to another interview section with Malia. And she is someone that I work with and do some things with, but she has a great background. She's gonna tell you more in depth about it, but model, I think acting as well, uh, has her own jewelry line, which was recently featured on the BET Awards. And we'll talk more about that, but thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So yeah, yeah, that's the first thing. What, you know, I always wanna start with my first question, which, um, is a question that I want to ask every guest, but it's it's kind of twofold. But what was your biggest moment of financial clarity, um, or what are some financial values that you live by? Absolutely. So I would say that I had a moment where I was um, pursuing my jewelry line, modeling, and it kind of hit me like we are all worthy, myself included, of abundance. And mm. for a very long time, I hadn't realized that, or I don't, I didn't sub, I, subconsciously, I knew it, but I didn't really enforce it in my life. So I was mm. living below where I actually belonged financially. Yeah. Um, and I kind of just 
accept that as like the hustle, the grind, the, you know, I'm a creative and we got to hustle until we have our big break. Yeah. And I realized like, you don't have to be a starving artist. And so I realized um, then um, that I needed to hire help because Mm. um, we don't have to wait until we are rich to get financial help. Um, And that's another thing that at the time I thought. Um, And so I reached out to some experts, yourself included, and just kind of built a team that could help me. Um, Mm. And Warren Buffett says the best investment you can make is in yourself. Mm. Um, And I believe that wholeheartedly. And I've seen the rewards of that. So I would say, you know, some of the, the, the things that I live by, financial values I live by, are to invest in yourself and invest in yourself financially. And you will reap the rewards of that. Agreed. No, yeah, you bring up a good point, which I'm very happy for you for, is you took the initiative to invest in yourself, to seek help uh, in areas that you wanted to improve on, and you improved so vastly. Not only improve your far and above uh, kind of the goals and benchmarks that you set for yourself and that we've seen and talked about, so that's really, really awesome. Um, and yeah, you kind of touched on my second question, which was what made you want to kind of secure a plan? It seems like you figured out I don't have to wait to a certain amount. I can build something now. And then as, you know, different things in, increase for me, I can already have something set in place. That kind of along the lines of your thinking when it comes to when you decided to secure type of a, a roadmap? Absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, you think, oh, I'll make it to a million and then I'll start, you know, working on my plan or I'll win the lotto and then I'll work at a financial plan. But after reading a couple of books, I realized that our relationship is, with money is so tied to our thought processes mm-hmm. and how we feel about ourselves. And so I just realized like, it's time to secure a plan. Like, even if you have $10, like what, what does that $10 do for you? And what does it look like? And how much of that is actual um, money that you have freely? Yeah. So it, it was just a wake up call to say like, don't wait for this you, you actually do yourself a disservice, I think. And all my yeah. friends and my family, they know I like preach it from <laughs> any chance <laughs> I get. Like, don't, everybody's always like, oh, I don't have the money. I don't have the money. Like, you don't have the money because you haven't put forth the effort to um, attract the money that you want. Yes. Um, and not like a get rich quick scheme type of scenario, but just really sitting down. And for a very long time, my sister used to make fun of me because I would round up like, If I had a hundred dollars in my account, I would say I have 150. And that just came from a denial of like what the actual numbers are. And so Mm. even when you sit down with a financial coach or an advisor, it hurts a little bit at first, your ego, because people are telling you pretty much about your, your grade on your financial health. And Mm. I think that that's something that a lot of people are afraid of because Mm. as you know, people, we tend to live above our means and you know, that wake up call was necessary for sure. Man, you sit on so many amazing points. Like, yeah, you're right. It's a touchy subject. How do we navigate that discussion? How do we be introspective? So you just sit on a lot of important, important things. And that's, man, I'm humbled hearing, hearing your response there. That's, that's wonderful. Um, all right, we're going to shift gears. We talked finance. I've, I've, berated you with those questions and I want to talk more about some more creative, more fun things you mentioned it. You have a jewelry line. You're obviously a model. Talk to me about your career, what you've been up to when it comes to the creative side of things. Yeah. So 
the uh, jewelry line I started in 2014. Um, I had a background in fashion and worked in fashion for several years um, in the capacity of like really behind the scenes, making sure that the fashion shows for the companies that I worked for ran smoothly. And I realized that my talents weren't um, weren't used in their best way. I felt like I had more to offer. Yeah. Um, and so in 2014, I designed my first piece. Um, it kind of was happenstance. And um, I wore my first piece with pride, just kind of like I made something to gain a creative outlet. My friends urged me to sell it on Etsy. I posted it reluctantly. Um, and then they <laughs> encouraged me to name it Made by Malia. They're like, you made it, so call it Made by Malia. And I'm like, wait, you know how they talk about those aha moments? Yeah. <laughs> and I went with it because I had nothing to lose at the time, really. Um, and it grew so organically um, from there that I knew I was onto something. And I knew I had an aesthetic eye to create like jewelry that I was really passionate about. So yeah. um, from there, the line just kept growing and growing to where it is now. Um, We've been featured by all major publications that you can think of. And mm. I've been on um, Insecure. And that was really major because I love Issa Rae and the show. Uh, tell um, me, I cut you off. I apologize. What, no what, so were you, was your jewelry in the show or were you in the show? I'd love to hear more about that. I love the show uh, myself and I love Issa as well. I love, I, tell me more about that, that, that situation. Sure. Sure, yeah. So I wish I was on the show physically, but I was not. I was there via my jewelry. Um, mm. Issa Rae uh, wore uh, my permanent necklace on the show. Um, and Kelly, the character Kelly, she also wore um, our Empire Bar necklace um, season three, episode six, and then season four, episode one. So that was really awesome. When they reached out, um, that was like, I was shaking because... <laughs> I was just like, this is so major. Like, this will be forever ingrained in history. Like, people could watch the show years and years and years from now. So that was um, groundbreaking for me. How did they find smaller... you? I, to this day, couldn't tell you. Um, you know, it's crazy because I am a very small brand. I'm a, I'm a one-man team. Yeah. And um, my growth has been super organic in that way. Um, and it's been a blessing that my reach has been organic. I don't have a ton of followers, but I have very engaged supporters yeah, who yeah. really like push me to the forefront. Yeah. So we're doing something right. I, I, I'm, I'm very grateful. Um, so uh, the, the costume designer uh, reached out. Uh, I sent the jewelry to L.A. Um, and that was very, very exciting. That's impressive. That's impressive. Which... Um you know, brings me to the point of you recently, BET Awards was, you know, was it wasn't a few days ago or something of that nature. Um, mm -hmm. And Amanda Seals was rocking one of your pieces, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, she was. Um, yes, yeah, she was wearing our progression uh, hoop earring, which we um, did a soft launch on last year. Um, and then we've been doing it for press and sending it out to different celebrities. Um, and she wore it on the BET Awards, which was super major because product placement as, again, a small Black-owned jewelry designer of fine jewelry. There's not many of me in the, there's not many of me in this space yeah. as is. Um, and then for visibility reasons and for press reasons to have that type of um, reach is, you know, amazing. So uh, my site 
sold out uh, for a lot of the product, um, the progression hoop. I had to completely, I almost had to take it completely off the website because I was so inundated with emails mm. asking, when is it coming back? When is it, I need it now. <laughs> it's like, this thing has been on the site for a year and yeah, you know, but, but it's a blessing. It's a blessing. So um, really excited about that. Yeah, along that line, I cut you off when you're talking about the jewelry line and your modeling career. What is the, what is the ultimate goals for you or what are you shooting for call it five, 10, 15 years down the line. Is there something that you're really shooting to, to accomplish? Absolutely. Um, and you know, it's crazy even just saying it out loud because I do believe there's power in words. Yes. Um, I think that's how I got to where I am now, just a full blown like belief in self. But I would say that in the next five years, me and Malia will be a household jewelry mm. brand and lifestyle brand. Um, my personal brand with modeling, I hope to be a um, well-known commercial and um, commercial uh, model. Mm -hmm. uh, so far, I've been featured by major brands, Nestle, Walmart, mm. um, Clairol, um, and I hope to just continue to build that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's crazy that both my jewelry and my jewelry, uh, both my jewelry and my modeling career have both excelled simultaneously, which I think is also a blessing. And mm. I've been able to kind of foster both at the same time and they lend to each other mm. um so i hope that the, the next five years that i'll be able to really push those uh both those things to be to the forefront um and really build those out uh 10 and 15 years multi-million dollar brand on yes. both ends yes. um so that's that's really the focus right now i love that no that's i love speaking one i know the way you work and the dedication you take to the things you want to accomplish. So I full heartedly am, am behind it and supporting it. And but lastly, behind that, I guess, being on your own, I guess, what tidbits do you have for, you know, strategies, tips, for people that are aspiring to be like you when it comes to running their own ship, whether it's, you know, creating a line or, you know, being freelancers or any of those sort of things? What have you learned throughout the, the, the years in the process? That is a great question. I would say what I've learned is to start before you're ready. Um, mm, I, like that. I, I really believe that the universe will provide you what you lack. Um, and, I, and I think that sometimes people are afraid to start because they don't have all the answers and they don't have all the pieces. Yeah. Um, I don't have a, a background in fine jewelry, but I have an eye and an aesthetic that I think people will appreciate and they have shown that. Um, and so I think that if I had waited until I went back to learn every aspect there is on fine jewelry and didn't believe in the skills that I already possessed, I would not have made my first piece. So I think people need to start where they are um, and just build on that and trust that you have everything that you possess already and what you lack, the universe will provide the rest. I love that. Starting before you're ready. That's so true because People, you know, we overthink things, we wait, we don't just jump right in. And when you jump right in, you learn to swim, even though I'm not mm -hmm. that great of a swimmer. In, in, in Me either. <laughs> so, bad analogy there, but um, they get the point. They get the point. Uh, where can people find you if they want to reach out, you know, find your jewelry, follow what you're up to? Where can they, where can they do that? Absolutely. So you can head over to um, Instagram and Twitter and you can find me at Made by Malia. Um, and you can also check us out on madebymalia.com. And I'm planning on starting a YouTube. So stay tuned for nice, that. Nice. Take you behind the scenes of what we got. Love that. 
Appreciate your time, Aaliyah. This has been wonderful and really, really looking forward to more great things. And thank you for calling in. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. Thanks.